worship team. Appreciate it. Well, good morning. It's good to see you all on this beautiful spring day. Indeed, uh, we had a great day yesterday with our work day, and uh, it's just great to be together, working together, but uh, also to spruce up the place a little bit. So I don't know if you noticed the uh, the the beds, the uh, landscape beds with the new molten, they kind of pop, and so that's kind of fun. Uh, but it's spring, and it's nice to be able to enjoy that part of creation. Um, and within spring, it brings other events, like graduations and even weddings and, and engagements. And uh, one of our own, uh, if you know Luke Wass, he's going to be married to his fiancée Alyssa come this June. But one of the things about uh, engagement is it's a little different than it was in the first century. You know, if a, a couple would be engaged, they would become betrothed. And, and typically it would look like a man going to a father of a daughter and saying, I, I would like to marry your daughter. And, you know, dad would ask some questions and, you know, what are your prospects? And, you know, faith in God would also be part of that, that question as well. But then they would come to agreement. I don't know how many camels for your daughter. I'm not sure, you know, that type of a thing. But they would become betrothed. They become engaged. And legally, that woman would be that man's wife. But the marriage was not fully consummated. Because what would happen then is the man would then go. And he would go and start building a house for his new bride. And that might be an apartment on the back end of a his parents' house, you know, oftentimes families live together. Or it might be, a, you know, single family dwelling, whatever it is. But he would go and prepare, and prepare a place for his new bride. And then he would come back and get her and take her to the new place that he has prepared for her. That's the reality we're talking about today. Again, we're going to be back in the the series about the hope of the resurrection. And this is kind of part two of the future hope of the resurrection. Last week we talked about how Jesus' own resurrection guarantees the resurrection of all who put their faith in Him. That at a certain point when He returns, our bodies will be transformed from decaying and falling apart and dying to bodies that will be transformed and eternal, just like His. And we'll have no more sickness, or no more decay. And that's a wonderful thing to look forward to. But this week, we're going to focus in more on the hope of the fact that Jesus goes to prepare a place for us, for all who put our faith in Him. And again, there are restorative properties to that. And we will experience Him them in His full presence. So I'm excited about what I have to share with you, and uh, let me pray for us, and then we'll get into God's Word. So Lord, I'm grateful for the hope that we have in you, and that is not wishful thinking, Lord. It is a guarantee because of what you have done, 
what you have accomplished in your life, your death, and your resurrection from the dead. So now would you open up the eyes of our hearts that we might see you in your word for who you fully are. And let us enter into a time of both worship and hope for what you want to do. And it's in Jesus' name I pray these things. Amen. So just before I get into God's word, just a trivia thing. It's not trivial, but it's trivia. Do you know today is Orthodox Easter? Do you know our Eastern Orthodox brothers and sisters? They're celebrating the resurrection today. And he is risen. Oh, come on, people. He is risen. And that is just as true for our brothers and sisters who follow a Julian calendar. That's the difference. You can look that up and figure that out yourself. But it's still a fact, it is still a truth that is true every Sunday and every day. But here's, the point, here's what I'm trying to point to today. That Jesus has gone to prepare a place for us. And if you have your Bibles, you might want to crack it open to the Gospel of John, chapter 14, where Jesus starts his prayer that Paul alluded to in his high priestly prayer. And he's talking to his, his disciples. And this is how he starts out in the first six verses here in chapter 14. He says, Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, I, would I have not told you that I'm going to pre- prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be, to, sorry, take you to be with me that you may also be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now the context of Jesus' words are he knows that in about 12 hours he will be going to the cross. And that he will be crucified and then on the third day he'll be risen from the dead. And then after 40 days of showing himself, he'll ascend to heaven. So Jesus is preparing his disciples that he is going to leave this earth. And he's going to give his disciples a mission. But right now he's giving them a promise that he is going to prepare a place for them. He's going to the Heavenly Father. He's going, ultimately, to heaven. And in that promise, he will come back for them. For those, all who place their faith in him. And he calls them to believe in him. Believe that this is true. Believe in me just as you believe in God. You believe in God, believe also in me. Because he tells them, he says, look, if this were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? Again, this is, I know I'm preaching to the choir, but Jesus is unique. There is no one like him. In the beginning of this gospel, Jesus has revealed as the Word who was 
but he was, he was with God and he was God. A little later in that same chapter, chapter 1, the Word becomes flesh and he dwells among us. He comes from the Father, full of grace and full of truth. He is unique. And so as he, as he is the God-man, come from the Father, full of grace and the truth, he has a trustworthiness. And, you know, part of this is validated, I'm sure, before his disciples, as they watched his whole ministry and his whole life. There's no, there's no uh, falsehood, there's no compromise in his character. But further on, this is going to be validated in his resurrection from the dead. As we finished up the Gospel of Luke, remember Jesus told them many times, look, the Son of Man is going to go up, he's going to be rejected, He's going, to be, uh, he's going to suffer, he's going to die, and he's going to rise again from the dead. And he says this over and over again to his disciples, and they still don't get it, and they still don't believe him. But he finally comes back and reveals himself. He reveals himself anyway to convince their unbelieving hearts. And here's where I'm going with this. Some things or some words only make complete sense in the rearview mirror. And this was true for the disciples. And Thomas kind of takes the lead in this. As he says, Lord, we don't know where you're going. So how can we know the way? All this talk from Jesus about going to prepare a place, leaving, I mean, that's, that's pretty scary. It's like, well, Jesus, you've been with us. What do you mean you're going away? You're going to prepare a place. We don't know the way. And Jesus makes it clear that the way is not a place or a location, it is a person. It's me, Thomas. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. This is not only a promise from the resurrected Christ, it is a proclamation that the way to the Father is through Him as He is unique in what He has come to do with His life, death, and resurrection. It's not going to, become, it's not going to come through being a good person. It's not going to, become, it's not going to come through you know, being extra-religious. It's not going to even come by knowing well the moral teachings of Jesus and trying to live those things out. That's important. But the object of faith is Him. It's Jesus. The God-man. The one who says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And again, it's going to happen through his perfect life that he lived, his death, where he pays our price, and his resurrection. It's what Jesus does for us, because we can't do it ourselves. He makes a way for us to be forgiven, to be reconciled to a holy God, to become his children, and enjoy his presence forever in a place that He is prepared. And this is good news. This is great news that everyone needs to hear. It's not something we need to keep to ourselves. But I have to tell you also, it's not always recognized as good news. Some people take offense at it. Maybe people who are coming from a different faith background or a different faith system or belief system. It's offensive because it's like, are, are you saying I'm wrong? Are you saying I've got it incorrect? I think all we can say is, look, this is what Jesus said of himself. 
And if he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me, you have to say, either I believe what Jesus says or I don't. I have to, I have to take him at his word. Either he, he is who he says he is or he's not. That's what you have to do. But if he is who he says he is, then yes, all other systems are wrong. And you, and you know what's interesting? Most other religious systems are based on what I can do to connect myself to God. The gospel is about what God has done to connect us to Himself. It also offends those who are kind of on the do-it-yourself salvation plan. The people who say, what, what, what? You mean I'm not good enough? Are you saying I have sin in my life? Yes, I am. Actually, I'm not saying it. God's Word says it. That all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. And, and buddy, sister, it has nothing to do with my comparison with you or me. It has everything to do with your comparison with a holy God whose standard is perfection. I know that's a hard truth to swallow. But here's the hope. God has made a way. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through Him. You know, the Apostle Paul in the book of Acts reveals that he was a follower of the way. It was an early name for the Christian faith. And the question is, for you and for me, are you, am I a follower of the way? Again, it's not a road, it's not a, it's not a location, it's a person. Are you a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ? I'm going to tell you folks, mortality has been hitting right and left of me these days. This morning I got a text from a, a good friend of mine and in Illinois, and his brother-in-law died from COVID complications last night. And the question really is, not did he live or die, but did he know Jesus? That's the real question. Did he know the way, the truth, and life? And I'm not trying to scare anyone into responding to Jesus, but here's the truth. One out of one of us dies. And you have to, you have to ask the question, what have I done with Jesus? What have I done with what he claims? He's the only man I know that's died and come back to tell us about it. And he says, if it were not true, wouldn't I have told you? So He is the one who has made a way. And he says, I go and prepare a place for you. Just like that bridegroom. Hmm. Where do we read that in Scripture? He's that bridegroom that goes to prepare a place for, for us. His bride, if you will. He is the only way. Have you responded? Number two. The place that Jesus is preparing or has prepared is a place where paradise or the garden or creation is restored. Creation of mankind starts in a garden where God makes men and women in His image that He might fellowship with them and know Him. And they walk with God in the garden. What an amazing thing. Wouldn't you love that? To walk with God in the garden day in and day out. But we know the narrative. He, he sets mankind over all creation. Then mankind decides to rebel. And it introduces all sorts of consequences. The wages of sin is death. 
and it brings about disease, and it brings about pain in childbirth, and it brings about the animal kingdom not being safe, and it brings about natural disasters, and conflict between men and women, and it brings about theft, it brings about deceit, it brings about racism and nationalism, and it brings about violence and abuse, and many more things I could list here. And while God does inject himself into history to call men and women back to himself and most pronounced in Jesus Christ coming to live this life and make a way for us to tell us about the way, the natural tendency of most men and women, in fact of all of us, before we meet Jesus, is to say, no, I'll I'll do it my own way. I want to rule my own life. I'll I'll make the calls, thank you very much. In fact, in America, and I don't mean to get political, and this is not a political statement per se, but I've just noticed there's a a greater movement to try try and distance ourselves from any belief in God, any faith in God, any, any call that He might have on our lives. You know, there's a there's a group called the Freedom from Religion group, and it's a manifestation of what is happening in our nation. But here's the truth, folks. Is that the creation, restoration that Jesus brings is a place where God's Messiah will rule and reign in this place that Jesus prepares. And if you have your Bibles, you might want to go on over to the book of Isaiah. It's after uh, the wisdom literature. And uh, in chapter 11, verses 1 through 5, Actually, it's going to be 1 through 10. But here's what happens. It starts out this, this prophecy, this vision that God gives Isaiah. It says, A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. And we meet Jesse in the first chapter of First Samuel. Actually, chapter 16 of 1 Samuel. And he's a man has a son named David who eventually becomes the second king of Israel. In Israel, and he's a man after God's own heart, and eventually David is promised that his descendant will reign forever on God's throne, on his throne. And you can read about that in 2 Samuel chapter 7. But what's so interesting is so many of David's descendants fall so far short. In fact, they rebel against God, and they fall woefully short. And really this promise doesn't come to full fruition until a time when Jesse's root, or David's root, seems to be dead. But then comes Jesus, who is both the son of David by his lineage to his mother and the son of God as he is born of the Holy Spirit, or conceived of the Holy Spirit. So, this, this promise comes. And it says in verse 2, the Spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The Spirit of wisdom and of understanding. The Spirit of counsel and of might. The Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. You know, when we start vetting our leaders, our political leaders, the questions we ask are, where did they go to school? What kind of experience do they have? We ask questions like, you know, what qualifies them? 
What's their background? Are they a charismatic leader? Do, do they do well in front of a camera? Well, all these things are true of Jesus, say for doing well in front of a camera, because Jesus didn't have that in his time, because Jesus was God before time. He was there at the creation. But you know, it doesn't put forth those qualifications in this passage. You know what it puts forth? That this person will be full of the Holy Spirit. Jesus was full of the Holy Spirit without measure. And that means he had both wisdom and understanding. Wouldn't we love to see that in our leaders? Counsel and might. And most of all, the knowledge of the fear of the Lord. The Holy Spirit is downloading into that leader, that root of Jesse, ultimately Jesus, his wisdom, his counsel, his might. There is not going to be any better ruler, any better leader. And because of this, because of this, he rules with complete justice. Second half of verse 3. And he will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide what he hears with his ears. You know, there's so many of us who are fooled by appearances. And there's a lot of ways to keep up appearances. But this leader is not fooled by appearances. He knows. And it says in verse 4, but with righteousness he will judge the needy and with justice he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. And he will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. And with the breath of his lips he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will, will be his belt and faithfulness and sash around his waist. Now let me, let me say this. Just to, for those of you who are kind of you're theological, kind of running ahead. There's, no, there's not a time that Jesus doesn't reign. He reigns even now. But what, what's happening here is a moment where all of mankind is yielded to the Son of Man, to that root of Jesse, to God's Messiah. And look again what he says. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and his, the breath of his lips. He will slay the wicked. Yes, he's going to bring about justice for the poor. But he's going to come and he's going to bring complete justice. Jesus, the meek and mild, he returns as a judge. He does bring about justice for the oppressed, but he will judge the wicked. And the wicked may be someone different than you think. The wicked are those who reject God as king. That's who the wicked are. And so we have a chance to surrender to the Savior and experience His salvation, or we can resist and we can suffer the consequences and be slain. But He will reign. He will reign in this place that He prepares. It will bring about perfect justice. Number two, His reign brings peace to the animal kingdom. It's continuing in this same passage. The wolf will live with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat, the calf and the lion and the yearling together. And a child will lead them the cow will feed with the bear. Their young will lie down together and the lion will eat straw like an ox. Hmm. 
Maybe you enjoy watching Shark Week on the Discovery Channel. But none of us wants to be shark bait. None of us wants to be eaten by the shark. And there is this, in this world, there is a, an enmity, if you will, between the predator and the prey. And this is removed. It's no longer there. It's no longer this danger. And in verse 8 it says, The infant will play near the cobra's den. And the young child puts its hand in the viper's nest. And they will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Creation will no longer be a dangerous place. You won't have to go camping and wonder if wild animals or a bear will attack you. The fear of its being attacked will be removed. The thought of lions and tigers and bears will not be, oh my. It will be, cool. I don't have to fear them. Because the knowledge of the Lord has now filled the earth. Number three, his reign will bring unity and rest to the nations. Verse 10. And in that day the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the peoples. And the nations will rally to him, and his resting place will be glorious. In my lifetime, we've come out from one century to another. And the 20th century started with World War I and moved on to World War II. And from an American perspective, you've got the Korean conflict, the Vietnam War, the Cold War. two Iraqi wars, Afghanistan. But that will cease. And that's from an American perspective. There's all sorts of stuff going on. And it's been true throughout history. The strife among the nations will be removed. No longer will they be trying to conquer one another or control one another. There will be peace because they'll all be united under the banner of the root of Jesse be all under his reign and his peace will reign and his resting place will be glorious for them number four his reign brings great joy and celebration and if you want to flip over to isaiah 25 verses 6 through uh, 8 here that's where i'm going to be but it says on this mountain The Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine and the best meats and the finest wines. Again, the imagery in the in the in the scripture is of the kingdom of God, kingdom of God being fully realized, is that of a great banquet, a wedding banquet, if you will. Have you ever been to a really fun wedding reception? I mean, it's just fun. You're you're joyous about the the couple getting being married the food is great there's dancing it's just a great celebration i i don't mean to boast but i felt like that was true of my own wedding reception it was a lot of fun it was great and i married a great woman a blessed man but i'm going to tell you this we're heading towards the best party ever in christ 
That's what he's bringing. And there's going to be this sense of joy and fellowship that we cannot imagine. Words fail. But it's going to be the best party ever. It'll be a great sense of joy and celebration. Number five, his reign will end with the end of death, sorrow, and disgrace. Verses 7 through 8. And on this mountain he will destroy the shroud, the shroud that enfolds all peoples, the sheets, the sheet that covers all nations, and he will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces, and he will remove his people's disgrace from all the earth. The Lord has spoken. You see, the menace of death will be removed because he has removed it by tasting death for us and then conquering it conquering it in his resurrection and sorrow will be removed because that separation will be removed and the sense of you know disgrace because of our decay and our fall will be removed because death will be gone as well it'll be taken away and the last thing i want to paint point to and if you want to go to revelation 21 that's where we'll be his reign makes everything new. Let me read these first five verses of chapter 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth has passed away, and there was no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, a new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard the voice from the throne saying, Look! God's dwelling place is now among the people and He will dwell with them and they will be His people and God Himself will be with them and be their God. And He will wipe every tear away from their eyes and there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. He who is seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then He said, write this down. For these words are trustworthy and true. Let me say that again. These words are trustworthy and true. Jesus is saying, this is all based on who I am. My reliability. If, I, if these things were not true, I would have told you. Because I am the resurrected Lord. That's what we're heading towards. And I don't know how these words strike you. I'm not going to make much commentary about it. I'm going to let them speak for themselves. And maybe you need to go back and look at them later today. But don't you long. Don't you long for the place that King Jesus has gone to prepare for us. With all of these factors. Everything made right. Everything that is broken on the side of heaven is made right. Every wrong is made right. Every separation is brought back together. Do you not long for that? I know I do. And most of all, the place, this place is where we see the Lord face to face, or what I would call unfiltered. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 11-12. through 12. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put away 
childhood behind me. For now, we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now, I know in part, but then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. Again, the context of this in 1 Corinthians is, is spiritual gifts and using them without love and building up the church. But Paul is also pointing towards the fact that history is going somewhere. History is going towards Jesus returning, Him establishing His kingdom, Him bringing this place. And right now, how we're experiencing Jesus is, is like looking through a mirror. It's like dimly lit. And I love the Word of God, and I, I so appreciate what God has revealed to us through that. And, and we have everything we need to know to have a relationship with Him, and to be saved. But we don't know everything. There are things yet to be revealed. If you've watched the uh, television series, The Chosen, there's a scene where the priest Nicodemus is talking to his wife about what they know about God, and they look in this mirror. And it's not a mirror like ours. It's this bronze mirror. And this is what Paul's referring to. And it's, it's almost like like a really bad mirror from a, from a fun house at a, at a carnival. And they're looking, and she says, that's a cheap, cheap glass, cheap mirror. And he says, isn't this how sometimes how we view God? And maybe he's more mysterious and wonderful than we ever thought. You see, now we see through a mirror dimly lit. But then we'll see him face to face. Unmasked. Then we'll see him face to face. He goes on to see, now we know in part. What I know about God is just partially developed. But then we will know him as we are fully known. That's an amazing thought to me. I don't even know if I can grasp all of it. Now, a theological question, does that mean we're going to know everything there is to know about God? No. Because God is eternal. And that's great. That gives us great hope because there will always be something new to learn about Him. We will never be bored with God. Okay? But this is where we're heading. Again, so many times, I said this last week, so many times we think about heaven being you know, all the good things of earth on steroids. The main part about being in heaven is being with Him and having Him unfiltered. That's the hope. That's the joy. That's what we're heading towards. Revelation 22, verses 4-5. through They will see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads. And there will be no more night, and they will not need the light of the, of the lamp of the light of the sun, for God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. Again, we will see Him face to face, unfiltered. And He talks about having His name written on our forehead. I don't think God has a tattoo program. I don't think that's what's going on here. But it is a knowledge that we are His. There's no doubt that we are His. We are 
We are owned by Him. We are His forever. And His very presence illumines not, illumines not only our sights, but our understanding, our experience of Him. And again, I think words fail us. But there will be an understanding, a comprehension, an experience of Him, and we'll never feel like we're in the dark ever again. On this side of heaven, God has given me things I need to know. The things I need to know. But on the next side of heaven, He's going to answer those questions I have. Uh, Lord, what were you doing here? What's happening? And then we're going to go, oh, that makes sense. And now, in the light of your goodness and your wisdom and who you are, I bless your name. And we will reign with him forever because he is the king. And we will reign with him just as he always planned for us in the garden originally. That's the place. That's the place we're heading for those of us who put our faith in Christ. In a moment, we're going to continue in our service with the celebration of the Lord's Supper and really celebrating what all that Jesus did to make this possible. But I want to stop because I don't know where everyone is here in this room. And this decision is so important. If you've not crossed that line, if you've not made that decision to put your faith in Jesus Christ, who is the way, the truth, and the life, I want to give you that opportunity because He has made this opportunity now. Before He comes, and there's, there won't be an opportunity to respond. It'll just be judgment. But now, he says, to as many as believed in him, to those who put their faith in his name, to them he gave the right to become the children of God. Again, you're not believing in a religious system. You're not believing in a code of ethics. Although relationship with Christ changes our hearts, changes our ethics, but he is the object of our faith. It's what he has done. That's why we put such a great emphasis on the cross, on the resurrection. Because it is what He has done that has purchased our salvation. And it's what He has done to affect our lives, our spirits, and to affect our eternity. If that's you, my friend, right now, I just want to pray for you. And I'm going to ask you to pray along in your heart with me towards God. My words aren't magic, but they are an expression of a sincere heart towards a holy God and a gracious God. So would you just pray with me, everyone, right now? And if this is you, you can pray along with me these words. <laughs> Lord Jesus, I have lived in rebellion against the Holy God. I've done things my own way. And the result ultimately is going to be death. So forgive me. For doing things my own way. And even now, I surrender my life. I ask you to come into my life as I put my faith in what you've done in dying on the cross, Jesus, for me. 
dying in my place to take upon myself the justice that I deserve. Thank you, Jesus. And then rising from the dead and conquering a foe I can't conquer in death. But you did. And Jesus, I put my faith in you. Thank you, Jesus. And now I open up my heart to you. Come and enter into my life. Change me as you promised. Come and give me life that I don't have in myself. Change me into a man who is like you, Jesus. But all my confidence is in you, not in myself. I realize I can't be good enough. But you are. And you were. So I put my faith in you. And again, my friend, if this is you, take to heart the good word that says, all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. If you're calling on Him now, He will come into you and dine with you, if you will, and you with Him and change you. So you can have the confidence because He keeps His Word. His Word is faithful and true. So Lord Jesus, it's in Your name we pray these things. And I pray that You will bring to completion the good work that You are starting even today in that heart. Amen.